Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm delighted to invite and welcome our special guest today, Neil Wood. Neil is the coach of Manchester United's under-23s. He's a Stratford lad and he was a young professional at Manchester United. And then he had a, a career as a footballer. But rather than me talk about that, we'll talk to Neil about it. And then we've got some questions which readers have, have sent him. Uh, so cheers for joining us, Neil. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Stretford boy went to Lost at School. Yeah, <laughs> many, many years ago now. Um, yeah, because I think it's uh, it's still going in the middle of Stretford. I think I think a lot of um, people from around Stretford, a lot of especially the guys who used to play on Moss Park with and playing them big eleven v elevens in the evenings. <laughs> you know, mainly from Lostock and Sonoma School, people from Stretford Grammar. So yeah, there's plenty of people that have come out of there that. And I don't know if you know this, but one of your headmasters, Mr. Bradley, um, he was one of the Busby babes. He, he was headmaster at Lost Dot School. I, I think you've told me this before, yeah. I didn't know um, I didn't know that myself, but yeah, it's um, quite unbelievable when you think about it, isn't it? Um, for somebody so local and you're in the same school, uh, I think... I think it links quite nicely from Lost Up to Manchester United as well. So, yeah, I didn't, I'm sure it was you that told me that before. And Mr. Bradburn, he went on to become a museum guide at Old Trafford until very recently. I think he was mm. one of the headmasters as well. And um, I spoke to a lad who went there recently, Nick Dillon, who's become a successful artist, moved out of Essex, got his own gallery. So, yes, look at Lost Good. Up. Look what it's produced. Fantastic. Some local talent. <laughs> So, so you were there. You were a young lad. You were a United fan, and then you got picked up at the club at what eight or nine years old, and, and invited for, for for training and trials. Yeah, I was playing for Stratford Vicks, like I think most people do. You know, playing out at the Kendall Club, um, and Jack Fellows, the local United scout, he, he picked me up or scouted me and invited me in. So I was about eight when I first went in to the old Cliff. I can remember it was just the oldest astroturf you could have with. You know, you take your boots off at the end of the session, just full of sand. You have to empty all the sand out. Um, and Nobby Styles was, was kind of in charge at the time then. Um, so, yeah, I can remember going and there's loads of kids and, like, Nobby knew every single lad's name on the, on the first night we were there, which was, like, unbelievable to know so many kids' names straight away. Um, and then as it went on, Paul McGuinness took over and it, it was still a centre of excellence back then, but Paul McGuinness kind of took over the reins and was Eric Harrison was still around and Neil Bailey was the B team coach was there. Jim Ryan was around. Um, so it was great. It was, you know, great environment to be in and, and just started at eight and went all the way through. And I, I loved it. Did you think that you were going to become a professional footballer and, and one at Manchester United? Were you one of the best in your age group or was there always some other kid who you thought, no, I'm miles off it. I was very. I was a technical player, and um, I think from the age of twelve, they made the decision to play me up a year. So I always played up from under twelve. I always played up a year ahead of me, um, and then I got. I played for England under fifteen schoolboys in the Victory Shield, and I made my debut. We think we played Wales, and we beat them four two. That was the first time I'd really played on Sky and scored scored two goals and was man of the match and. Um, and then when I was in my last year at school, I just remember we used to train in a, a Thursday evening at Ashnell Mersey School. We used to do like a bit of a, 
gym session in, in a small gym there. And I just remember um, Paul McGuinness and I think Warren Joyce was the part-time under-16s coach at the time. They pulled me aside and said, um, you're not training tonight. Um, so I was like, why? They said, are you playing with the reserves to, tomorrow night? But the um, reserves played a good play. So I was still in, you know, I was in the fifth year at school, so I left school yet. Um, so I thought they were joking at first. Um, so I turned up on the Friday night and was like, I was a striker back when I was coming through then. So I played up front with David Healy. Um, I scored. I think it deflected in, but I'm going to claim it anyway. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I think like when I look back, I mean, that's quite a big achievement. And then um, I finished school then in the July, in the June, sorry, and then straight into pre-season in the July. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I think at that point, I think people within the club are saying he's got a good chance of being in the first team. He was training up with the first team quite early. Um, was, I think it was the time when Wes Brown had broke through. So uh, sometimes it was only just me and Wes Brown training with the first team. Um, and then I just got some horrific injuries, um, starting with I got a, I'd got a dead leg and then got hit on it straight away two days later, which turned into a blood clot on my thigh and a hematoma. So that ruled me out for six months. Uh, that was from the January to the to the end of the season. Then I came back pre-season. We went to play in the Milk Cup. Um, went over ahead of the guy. I headed it clear. The guy headbutted me, fractured my skull. So that ruled me out for another three months after that <laughs> while it calcified over. <clears throat> and then got playing back towards December time. And I took a bit of a bang on my knee and carried on playing. <clears throat> and in the end, it just... It just kind of collapsed as I was running, and it turned out to be um, <clears throat> an injury with my articulate cartilage, which I think Ollie had the same injury. I think that's what almost stopped Ollie from playing or did stop him. You could have just and, answered that question. <clears throat> yes, it was shit up, but injuries did me. Yeah, well, true, yeah. I think I ended up spending a, a good year and a half just being injured, and, and you know, it's a long time to be out of football. And, Football doesn't stand still for anyone, does it? So by that point, by the time I'd got back, you know, there was talent behind me that had obviously overtaken me and it's almost, you miss your chance, don't you? So, yeah, I think up until that point, the frustrating thing was I'd, I'd never had an injury up until that point. I think the most I'd ever done was roll my ankle or rock my ankle or anything like that. So, yeah, they they, they, they wiped me out and then, yeah, later on in my career, I had an ACL injury and it just it holds it up, doesn't it? So, yeah, that was a that was because all I ever wanted to do, all I wanted to do growing up was play for United. That was my dream. And the day I left, I left to go to Coventry, and I think half of it that killed me inside. You know, that was that was my that was my goal just to play for United. And you grew up a, a mile from the ground. Did you used to go to games? Yeah, we used to go to every home game um, as part of coming through at United. You know, you got. Complimentary ticket, so um, me and my dad would go to, to every game. So you know, you, you, we've seen all them great teams, all them great players. Privileged to watch to watch them teams winning trophies. Um, so yeah, I, I still I still see some goals now on on Premier League years, and and you can remember it. You know, and it just kind of comes back into your memory. You can remember being sat in the stadium, and uh, I see like when Canton or chested that one down against Arsenal and they volleyed it in 
and it went in off the bar. I'm like, I can remember being sat in the family stand just near the tunnel watching that go in and then celebrating like crazy. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's just got great memories to look back on. So you went to Coventry in 2004. Before that, you'd been on loan at Royal Antwerp, at Peterborough United, at Burnley. Mm-hmm. After Coventry, you're on loan at Blackpool. You signed permanently for Blackpool. You were at Oldham Athletic. But you weren't playing many games at these places. <clears throat> Did you become disillusioned with the idea of becoming a professional footballer? What was stopping you from establishing yourself in teams like at Oldham Athletic and... Then you took a really unusual route. You went to Bosnia. You went to Sarajevo, yeah. post-war yeah. Sarajevo. I think I, I always came through from United from eight years old, and like, luckily, I'm coaching at United, and I, I think I've got a good idea of of what it a United player should look like and the way a United team should play. Um, and when I left, I just I was one of these players. I, I started off as a striker, and then. I, probably got to 16 17 and i liked i like to create i like i had a, some good vision and creativity and um i dropped back into midfield uh so i was always on the ball i was one of them i wanted to get on the ball i wanted to get us passing get dictate the tempo of the game and, and, and create some assist, assist and get us played forward and i just found when i when i left teams weren't playing like that i can remember going to commentary in pre-season and you know, the first thing I did was show for the ball and it's within a second where I could have it free. It's like wellied over my head. The the opposition centre-back heads it straight down into the midfield and it's straight to my man and I'm 20 yards away from him. And I'm thinking, I could have had the ball at my feet a second ago and you're going long. And I found it really hard to adjust to that kind of mentality of you playing to win second balls and you might win the game from a corner or free kick. I just found that so hard. I always like to be involved in the game. And once it was just a game of running around, trying to win tackles, just it just took, it took the shine away from me. And I found it so hard to adapt to that. And, and that was the problem with, with what was happening was I couldn't, I wasn't playing in the team at, say, championship level at Coventry. So the, the, the thing you have to do is drop down the league. And then, so I went to Oldham, played on to John Sheridan. Um, we had a nice little three-five-two system. I was sitting in front of the back four, and he liked to play. And the first five games, we battered teams. We absolutely footballed them to death, but we get beat 1-0. So after that, he has to change. It has to go to 4-4-2. <laughs> he says to me, you can't play in a two-midfield. You don't run around enough. Um, you, you're too good to play at this level. So I said, I know that, but can't play a high level because I need to prove myself at this level. So that was a frustrating thing. And I think back then you didn't have as as many recruitment departments or as many scouts that could see that happening, you know, that could see through all that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I just got, uh, just got down with it really. And then I went, as I was old and I went to go on loan. It was when Warren Joyce was at Antwerp. I went to go on loan because he had, Five of the United boys there. I think he had um, Darren Gibson was there and Fraser Campbell and a few of the other lads. And I think uh, Dong was out there, but he was going back to United or going back to China or something like that. So Warren said to me, come play as a 10 and come and play behind Fraser. So I thought, oh, that's great. I'll just get in them little pockets, set him. I'll be like, someone like him in front of you, he's so fast, so sharp. You can make your balls look great, you know. 
Um, so I went out there, and then within two days, I played in a, a friendly, and the guy snapped my leg, snapped the cruise ship. So that was the end of that one. Flew back the third day. Um, there you go, out for six months straight away. But as I was out there, I, I played in this uh, game, and I probably played the first 20 minutes. I, I was doing really well. I looked I looked half decent. Um, so when I got back to the hotel, there was an agent in Holland, and he said, to me to see how your knee goes but you know keep in touch and if you want to come back I can take you around Holland and um, take you abroad and things like that so at that point that's what I'd fancied I was I was done with League One I was done with League Two um, dropping down into National League's semi-pro it just that just wasn't for me I just couldn't take to that so um, once I got back fit I spoke to the agent I went trialing around straight after me probably the wrong time but i went trialing around straight after my cruise year and i don't think i was if i'm honest with myself i don't think i was fit enough to, to make an impact um but he had links with this club in bosnia so he said to me do you fancy that and uh well why not you know let's go for it um so i went out there and, and to be honest it was like coming from coventry from Oldham, from blackpool I thought the manager was brilliant out there. It was the first time I'd actually been taught some tactics, been taught some patterns of play, been taught some positioning. Um, it was quite professional in the sense that we'd stay in a hotel before home games. Um, and it really opened my eyes a bit to like the other side, which had not had. And I started, it was probably the first time that I enjoyed my football since leaving United when I was 22. Um, so yeah, that's so he ended up there for a season. Had to had a double hernia, which meant I came back. And then after a year of that, I was just moving around every couple of years. So I just needed some stability in my life. So decided it was time to get into the to the coaching side and start doing my coaching badges. What do you do when someone snaps into your knee? Because I'd ask people about you. You grew up five hundred meters from me, so mm. so I knew about you and. I know all I do is at Coventry when you were there, and he said, "Hard bastard, Manchester lad, uh, mm. like like, like <laughs> Nicky." But I mean, you might tell yeah. me that you're a soft bastard and you're a seventh cock of your class. But <laughs> if someone's snapping your cruise shirt, what do you do? Do you be professional, or do you just think you just ruined my my livelihood? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I've all, I'll always stand up for myself, and I always did on the pitch. You know, it was just the rule, wasn't it? You you, you look after yourself, you stand up for yourself, and then you outplay the guy you're playing against. So. I always had that, that that thought in my head in every game I played. Um, the thing with it, when I snapped my cruise the annoying thing was I knew he'd, I knew he'd done it at the time. I, I heard the crack. Um, and I just got up. I walked off the pitch. <laughs> That's what happened. So, um, and Warren was there. You know what Warren's like. Warren's like, come on, get on. You're all right. And I was like, I'd already had one or two injuries before that with my AC with my uh, articulate cartilage and the swelling was just unbelievable straight away so I wanted to kill the guy that done it because I think it wasn't a naughty I think he meant it he came at me from the side and all my weight was on my leg and it, he kind of my leg kind of hyperextended it like you know like karate kicked my leg um, so first of all I wanted to, I wanted to go on there and kill him but I couldn't do that <laughs> so um, I just knew it had gone and I, it was just kind of like, here we go again, can't believe this. I've just come back from a massive knee injury eight months out and now this is 
But I think it's one of them that most footballers fear, don't they? That ACL. Um, so yeah, the very next morning, I couldn't even get a, I couldn't even get a pair of. It was that swollen. I couldn't even get a pair of pants on, and just I got on a flight the next morning, and just knew it was just going to be a long road after that. And um, yeah, it was just disappointing, if anything, because I, I, I knew I, I knew Warren Warren's my under sixteen coach when I was coming through it, so I enjoyed playing for him, and you know I, I was looking forward to having something different and. I'm playing around some of the young United players that were there. I thought that can only be a good thing. They're going to be good players. So, yeah, I was disappointed with it, really. Before we talk about your coaching, just a, a minute on what it was like playing in post-war Sarajevo. You were there in, in 2008. I, I'd i been to Mostar the year before and was struck by the destruction, which was still evident, the, the, the mm. shell holes in all the buildings, the cemeteries, which were full of white crosses of, of young men who died in 1993 and I didn't go to Sarajevo until the day before United played in Belgrade in, in 2019 but mm. I, I was stunned I, I was I was just like I had that U2 song Miss Sarajevo on and yeah it was like um it was like going back to 1962 or or, or how I imagined it and it's, it's a country which produces great sports people and the, the girls were absolutely beautiful. There was a beauty in the mountains. It had staged mm. the, the Winter Olympics, but the shellholes are still there. It was yeah. all very raw and, and you were there. You were there yeah. not long after. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, it was so sad. I mean, Zelnikar's stadium, you know, that got damaged during all that and you could still see, it was flats over the road and you could still see some of the shells that had damaged the buildings there um yeah and as you used to walk out of the stadium you think bloody hell you know this is like so sad to see all this still um but i think the people i came across and met out there i mean they were so friendly such nice people that couldn't do enough for you you know um and the spirit and the way people are and you could go to a coffee shop in the middle of the afternoon and it'd be absolutely rammed, you know, a big coffee shop cult, coffee cafe culture there. Um and everyone was great, so friendly and unwilling to help you out. So I enjoyed it there, I really enjoyed it there. And I think Sarajevo was, was a nice city. You went into the centre and you know, it was a it was a vibrant city. There was plenty going on. Um I think it had parts of it that were luxury. You know, we used to stay in a hotel before games and um used to have like a revolving restaurant at the top of the hotel which is you know quite modern for then and then you know really you know posh and, and a luxury hotel and then but then on the flip side of it you'd see some really poor people out in the street and it was crazy you know uh, just the, the opposite ends of of how people are living out there after there, you end up in the Midlands in England, in, in the Tamworth area. Uh, and I might be wrong here, but I read that you, you were at Aberston Town, Bowl Hill, Swifts. What took you to there? Why were you not back in Manchester? Well, I, I bought a house around there when I was at Coventry and I just got back and I thought, right, I needed a bit of stability. And, um, you know, I started to do my coaching badges and at the time I was going into Aston Villa just, just um observing i started off with the under 12 just being around it and 
working on all the age groups, doing a bit with the eights, the nines, trying to get in when the 15s, 16s training and going to watch the, 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 the youth team play. So I was doing that as well as starting on my coaching ladder and I just thought, right, I need to keep fit. So I went training with the local team. I just thought, you know, just tick along with football. So I started to do that and just started to, to train locally and train not just to keep a little bit of fitness and just just to not lose that. You know, you, you want to play football, don't you? That's all you want to do when you're growing up. And I just didn't want to lose that. So I went training with them just to keep fit. And then they said, do you fancy playing a game? So I think I played one game for them. Um, and then uh, I think I didn't. I don't think I ever played. I might have played once for Alistair. But same thing. I think the manager went from one place to the other. So he was just like, "Come train here if you want." So I went and trained there with him. Uh, I think joined one of the games, but I did my back really badly. I I think I slipped a disc in my back. It was a, it was probably the worst injury I've ever had out of everything. It was so much pain. Um. And after I'd done that, I just thought, I can't keep doing this. Not not for like a, a non-league, not, you know, not when it don't really mean much. So that's when that was when, you know, it kind of hit home and I thought, right, I need to concentrate on my next career here. Let's get into coaching. And I just went fully out on the coaching and was going into Villa four or five times a week, just being around it and, and getting back into an academy environment and seeing how everything works, getting to know the level of, what players were like now, do you know what I mean? Because it was different from the level of players that I came through that I would have said was a good player or a bad player. So, um, yeah, I did like almost a, a season apprenticeship just at Villa and, and the staff there were, were brilliant. You know, they were great. Steve Burns was the academy manager at the time and he invited me in there. Um, and the first thing he said to me, he said, you won't be coaching. He said, you're just going to shield all the age groups. You're going to have a good look, see what's going on. And that's what I did for a season. So there was no pressure and I, and I loved it. And got, you know, once you get that buzz for it. Um, and then, so I did that for a season. They seen that I was committed. They seen I was interested and they seen that I was willing to learn and, and take on new things with an open mind. So, you know, they gave me a chance and I started off part-time there. So that season you were there, it was voluntary. You weren't getting paid. I started off, yeah. My first season of, of my coaching career, I just turned up i'd obviously spoke to steve and he said look we can't pay you you're not on the payroll but just come and be around it we'll open the doors for you um so i just went in here three or four times a week for a whole season didn't get paid a penny um but it didn't it didn't really matter to me i was i was back around football back enjoying it it was like the next step of my career it was the next best thing to play in um and they were great, you know, the, the players were really good, the coaching was good, the way they were playing football, the, the academy at Villa was really similar to United in a way. They had a lot of players that had either played there or players that had come through that didn't quite make it but had slipped into the coaching side. So they had a real, like, close-knit coaching group as well. Uh, the staff were excellent. So, yeah, I, re I really enjoyed it. And then what took you back to Manchester <coughs> and work at United? How does a free case of eight Belgian craft beers sound? We might not be able to go far at the minute, but Beer 52 giving you the opportunity to transport yourself figuratively to a cosy Belgian beer cafe. The type which United fans were in a little over one year ago in Bruges. 
over the days. You can celebrate the country's Asian and world-famous beer expertise with a case of eight craft beers from some of their finest breweries for free. All you've got to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash united and cover the £5.95 postage and Beer 52 will deliver them straight to your door. Beer 52's beer boffins are on a demented mission to find the very best beer anywhere on the planet. Every month they visit a different country, they find the best small batch breweries, they sample the finest craft beer and then carefully curate a case to be sent to their lucky members. It's a hard job but somebody has to do it and it's all done remotely right now due to Covid of course. This month is a case from one of the world's foremost beer nations, Belgium. The selection pits traditional Trappist beers brewed by monks in monasteries against ultra-modern craft beers. Discover incredible beers like Steenbrugger's 6.5% Blonde. Brewerdries. How, how am I supposed to pronounce these Belgian breweries? Brewerdries. Leckers. Belgian IPA and Avans Dubel. Most of these beers have never been seen in the UK. If you don't like dark beer, choose a light option. It's really easy. Each case also comes with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment, as well as a tasty snack to enjoy with your beer. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beers and see what you think. If it's not for you, you can press pause or cancel at any time. So just go to www dot beer52.com forward slash united to claim your free case of eight craft beers do it now that's www.beer52.com forward slash united well i was always in i got into villa because i spoke to dave bushel who was who was you know everyone dave bushel's a legend at united he's done so much work over years and dave bushel spoke to Steve Burns to see if I could go in because I was living quite close to, to Bodymore Heath. So um, I always kept in touch with Dave. I kept in touch with Tony Whelan. Um, I minded Brian McClare. <laughs> if any positions come up, uh, can you think of me? Because I, I wanted, I was desperate to move back to Manchester, get back to Stratford. So um I did almost, I think it was two and a half years, maybe. I was going into my third season with Villa and I, I'd just got the under-14s at this point because I'd done two a year kind of floating around the age groups, just getting a load of experience. Then I did a year with the under-12s and then almost going into this third season, they went, right, you can, you've done well, you can you take the under-14s now. So I was looking forward to that. I was just about to get my teeth into that. And within a month of that, Tony Whelan rang me and said, could be an opportunity up here for you working alongside uh tommy and, and neil ryan with the, the 16s if you fancy it so i was like yeah definitely so i think of i think within like two or three weeks i was up here starting um and that, and that was it that's where it started so you moved back to stratford the arndale has changed its name to stratford mall which obviously is <laughs> a, a big issue for for, for local people and then you're yeah. going into Carrington each day and you just work your way up through the different age groups. Clearly, you're doing something right because your talent gets spotted and then you get to the 18s and then the 23s. Yeah, I mean, I came in, I was fielding the 16s, then I started to work a bit with 14s and I got the on the 15 role. 
Um, and and we at the time we had the under 15s or 16s working quite closely, and then we were linking into the 18s. So it was all kind of working nicely. We we're trying to almost do the same work and and really tap into what the coaches were doing at the older age groups and and push it down the age group. So that was the that was the, the exciting part. And and any time, I mean, back then the 15s, 16s would train in the daytime say on a monday on tuesday afternoon but then they wouldn't be into wednesday evening thursday evening so wednesday morning i'd be out there watching the under 18s train i'd be out there watching the 23s train thursday thursday morning out there watching the 18s watching the 23s and just taking it in really just just being around it and you know taking notes and seeing what i liked and and, and you just form forming things for yourself if the day ever comes like you might be in that position so yeah i put a lot of work into it and you know i feel i went above and beyond to do it but i felt that's the way i like to do things i like to do if i'm going to do it i like to do things properly and if it puts me out then it puts me out but at least at least i know i'm, I'm giving it everything what do you mean above and beyond what else were you doing well you know it, it wasn't my time so safe the 15 and 16 weren't training they're not training to the afternoon or the, the the evening then there's no reason for me to be in other than to come and learn off somebody else or to come and watch somebody else and it would have been easy for me to just go oh i'm just gonna have a lie in this morning we'll have a lazy morning and uh i'll just turn up at 11 o'clock and then we'll do the, the afternoon session but I wanted to be in there. I wanted, I wanted to. I wanted to be around it all. I wanted to see what the messages were, what what the training was like, what was going on at the higher level, at the older age groups. Um, one, one to learn from it, and two was to start filtering down some of the work into the younger ages to prepare them better before they got up to that to that age group. So, um, yeah, that's what. And any games, I was out watching games. I was all over. Watching 18s games, 23s games, going watching first team games of other clubs, just to just to learn and see what was see what was happening, and, and just taking as much information as I could. And then while you're doing this, United's first team manager was changing from from Fergie, obviously you played under um, David Moyes, Louis Van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Did you have any contact with them, or were you at two junior level? Um, I didn't really have <clears throat> much con. I didn't really push up to the older ages until Jose was here. Really, when I started assisting Ricky, um, wasn't really around. I'd seen a little bit of Lou Van Gaal stuff from a distance, but I was with the younger age group, so it was, you know, it was one thing going and watch the twenty threes train and watch the eighteens, but it just wasn't easy for me to go and walk to the side of the first team pitch and watch that training. On the other, on the other occasion. I'd probably catch some glimpse of that. Um, but then once I stepped up to work alongside Ricky for for the to be his assistant, then he started to see a little bit more. Um, obviously, Jose didn't come through me. He'd go straight through Ricky, but I was around it. And if we ever went over there to train together, I had a much closer view. And then obviously, since Ollie's came in, it's been a lot closer and I have a lot closer contact with, with the with the staff there, with Michael Carrick, with Kieran, with the manager. Um, so yeah, I think now it's, it's it's probably how it should be. You've got that close relationship and, you know, conversations all the time about players, about different things, about 
things we can improve. So yeah, it's probably the best. I'm in the best position to to to, to see that firsthand now. You said before you knew what you felt a Manchester United player should look like. What should a Manchester United player look like? Well, to me, coming through, I thought I always thought you could spot a difference when if you went and watched a game on on a Sunday with the young age groups or you went and watched a school game. I, I think you should have always been able to pick out. Yeah, he he plays at Man United. I can see why, and I think it's. I think first of all the technique, the way they move, the smooth. You know, they move smooth. They receive smooth. They've got good vision. They've got creativity. They've got a range of passing. I think they should have a bit of inner steel. You know, a bit of determination. That will not to not to get beat if it's not to get your team beat or not to be beaten easily in a one v one duel. Um, and, and that determination. And, and and I always got brought up with, you know, if a if a team wants to try and kick you off the park, then you outfight them. You, you find a way that they're not going to dominate you. I got brought up with, if they want to try and run over you, then you outrun them, match them for running and outrun them. And then the most important was outplay them. You know, if, if they think they're better footballers than you, well, match them for everything else and then outplay them. So that's what, what I always got brought up with coming through. Um, and I, for me, I don't think them three things need to change. I think I still give that message pre-season. I, I give that message to the players last pre-season. Uh, and I think it's it can be seen as basic, but I think it's really important. So Ricky moved on and Manchester United were looking for a coach for the for the 23s. And some pretty big names were linked with it. Some club legends were linked with that role. You got the job. Were you surprised to get it? Did you feel you were ready for it? Did you feel it was your time to step up because you'd, you'd shadowed Ricky, you'd seen what he was doing, you were forming your own opinions and maybe thinking, okay, I'd do that, but I'd also do it my way? Mm. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of everything. Um, I think I needed that year of just supporting Ricky and assisting him and, and being around it and you know not quite being the focal point um because it was quite a big step up going from 15 16s to to 23s um but i think that year helped me you know ricky's a great guy um very experienced coach he's managing the premier league so just to be around him and be around the older coaches as well you start to see things like you say you start to you start to think well if i was in it would i would maybe do this a little bit i'd do a bit of that um and then you know, I think it was a little bit unexpected. Ricky went and he went quite late at the end of his second season and it was a bit up in the air. I wasn't sure if it, if I was going to get the job, but I think at that point, I actually thought I could do, I could take this job. I think I could be, I could do it well and I think I could shape it into the way I want it to be shaped. Um, so even to think now at that point, I think I came quite a long way. <laughs> On that, on that coaching journey to get to that point. Um, and like you say, I was reading in the papers or in the press or social media, that, you know, this player and that player and this person is going to get that job and you're reading it like it was nailed on. And and then I don't think it was till mid-May really where the club sat down with me and said, we'd like you to take that role, which, you know, I was delighted. I was never going to, nobody turns a role down that, like, like that down but I felt I felt ready for it I felt like 
I haven't cheated at any point in my coaching journey. I haven't cheated, you know, I haven't fudged my badges or not done the work to get my badges. I'd been through it. I'd done, I'd felt like I'd done, like a player, you do your apprenticeship. I'd felt like I'd done that with my coaching. I'd, I'd surrounded myself with, with ex-coaches that I'd had. surrounded myself with people that I knew was giving great advice. I surrounded myself with good coaches that I could learn off um, throughout the five or six years previous. So, yeah, I got to that point and I felt I felt more than ready to take on the role. So you're now in a very senior and important role. I hope it didn't go to your head. I hope rumours of you driving round seven ways in Stratford in an <laughs> open-top yellow Lamborghini are, uh, are wider than Mark. Yeah, maybe maybe not open-top <laughs> and yellow. <laughs> but um, I'll be borrowing your Lamborghini before I buy one myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine uh, driving around Stratford in one of that? I don't think it'll last long. So. I think half your mates used to sell United We Stand when they were kids. People like <laughs> Stacey outside Old Trafford. So yeah, and they did. I think. I think. I think they did. I think they're all desperate to get back doing that with this pandemic. I think that's probably get them out and about and get around the fans on a match day. Yeah, I miss that even more when you talk about it, just that match day atmosphere. Because we're from a part of Manchester where it, it means so much and we would have got the same bus to the ground. And it's full not just of fans, but of workers, people who work in security at the stadium, who serve food at the stadium. Manchester United is a really big employer. It employs a thousand mm. people. And then you've got the match day staff as well. So I'm not going to talk too much about that because it'll just do our do our heads in. <laughs> so you 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 were in charge uh, last season. You got promoted from the second tier. I mean, looking at it from the outside, Manchester United 23 should never have been in the second tier. Uh, of, and then you come back into the top flight uh, this year. You're playing the best 23 teams. And I spoke to you at the start of this season. And you, you one point you made was, we're going to be playing very young teams because that's what the club wants to do. So don't perhaps pay mm -hmm. so much attention to the results because you'd feel that you'd rather give a 16- or 17-year-old a chance um, to play against players who are four or five years older. And also, when you're Manchester United, opponents tend to raise the games as well. You'd seen evidence of that. But mm -hmm. I've, I, I found myself watching more and more of your, your games and being really excited, partly because some of the scorelines are like basketball matches. <laughs> but... There's some really, really good young players. And I'm torn between thinking there's always been young players. I can remember get, getting excited about a lad who I'm going to speak to next week, Adnan Janazai. Mm -hmm. I don't know him. Yeah. I can remember James Wilson. There's always been one or two. And yeah. for many, many different reasons, they don't establish themselves as first-team players at Manchester United. And I wrote a very critical article in 2015 about the state of the youth system at the club. And my sources were very good and... Coaches came up to me on the quiet and said, thank you for writing that. But I am pleased to say it's in a much better place now. It's much better resource than it was five years ago. United seemed to be buying top talents from top clubs, from the biggest clubs in Spain, players like Hannibal. Am I talking accurately here? Am I being accurate in, in what I'm saying? And some of these young players now, Ahmad recently, Joe Hugill, if I've pronounced mm. that uh, correctly, yep. Um, Hannibal, Shola, they really excite me. And you go into places mm -hmm. like Liverpool and putting six past Liverpool, okay, they're scoring free. And you go into Blackburn and you're coming behind three times. It, it, 
it's really enjoyable as a fan. What's it like being the manager? <laughs> it's not as enjoyable being a manager. I can say that now. <laughs> no, I think um, I think just going back from like you say from where it was. I think there's been so much hard work been put in by so many people to to get it back to where we wanted it to be. Um, and yeah, I think you're right that you know we shouldn't be in that second division and we were so pleased to get out of it and especially me I, uh, it was it was an achievement for myself to get them out of it an achievement for the, the players to get out of that league and now you're back where you, you want to be you know playing against the Liverpools playing against the Arsenals uh, playing against the Tottenham's and, and Chelsea's and I think we took the decision quite early on in the season that myself the 23s the under 18s we were going to be stretched and we were going to start putting out younger players and you know, pushing players into an environment where they're probably not comfortable with it straight away. It's probably going to take a bit of time to adapt, but the good players, and we know that's going to come. So that's what we had with the 23s. And, you know, we started off really well and then we had a little dip and, you know, there's been some good performances. There's been some terrible defending at times, but there's been some outstanding attacking play. Um, and I think that's what you get, you know, I'd love them to be consistent every week and not concede a goal and, and score four, five, six every week. Um, but that's one of the hardest things of trying to get out of the young lads, that consistency. And I think you probably even see that at some first-team clubs. You know, if they're not winning every week, it's hard to get that consistent performance, um, which everybody wants it, but it's so hard to to get. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, the last couple of games, we've, we've scored quite a lot of goals, but also conceded some really... Really soft goals through individual errors and, and different things. So, yeah, maybe not as enjoyable for me standing on the side seeing these goals in. It's enjoyable watching them free flow and attacking and, and and outplaying teams and really cutting teams open with good play and scoring good goals. But yeah, not not so exciting conceding soft goals. Got a couple of questions from readers before we talk about some individual players. Um, Pete. 1987 said what steps does the club take to help young players deal with the challenges of social media some of the abuse the players get is horrendous and it's hard to imagine it doesn't affect confidence mm, I, I think it does I think it is one when it's abusive it's just like Axel has had recently it's, it's terrible that should never happen um, and then the other side of it I think it's players can read it when, when things are going well it's nice probably nice to read nice things about yourself but at some point it's going to turn and, and it's going to get negative and then it's that's difficult. You know, if you're reading that about yourself as a young player, it's very difficult to take. Um, I don't think the answer is go off it altogether because then you're missing out. You know, you might... I can imagine these young players, they enjoy it. They like being on them platforms. Um, it's just... We have a lot of education, a lot of workshops within the club. We have people coming in and speaking to the lads and, and telling them what how it works and what social media is about and all different things and the different platforms that they can use, where that information is going, why you need to be really careful about what you, the message you're putting on there and all, and all types of different things. So, yeah, we're really working hard. The player care department's working hard. The, the management of the academy and, and above is working hard to really educate, especially the younger lads. I think it's, it's quite difficult for them because they all want to be on it. They all want to, they all want to be, popular on there and, and read nice things and I think you just need to let them know the pros and the cons of it all and when it's going good it's good and when it's bad probably stay off it for a day or two 
So that's it with Neil for now. I really enjoyed talking to him. He will be in the next United We Stand mag, which we're finishing off at the moment. If you'd like to order a copy, go to uwsonline.com and you'll see our subscription link there. You can order a printed edition. Deadline for ordering is Monday. Or you can order a digital edition. So you can read our award-winning fanzine on your tablet. Lots of you do that. We really appreciate the support we've been given during the time when we've not been able to sell the mag at matches but we've kept it going thanks to your support and basically not people saying that they like what we do but actually buying what we do that's the only way we can carry on doing it and bringing you podcasts like this and bringing you the magazine on a monthly basis so you can also order a single issue if you want just paypal £3.99 for a UK address to uwsmag at yahoo.co.uk and that's 5.49 Republic of Ireland and Europe and 5.99 for the rest of the world. That's if you only want a single printed issue. It is easier if you order a full subscription from our admin department, but we understand that not everyone can afford that. And if you want to avoid the postal charges and sometimes postal delays during the COVID time, then the digital edition might be the, the best for you. But we've got loads of stuff in, in the next issue. And we'll bring you another podcast next week. Uh, Remo has received his package from uh, Manscaped and I've received some uh, photos which I would describe as quite disturbing uh, so maybe we'll get him on next week to, to talk about his experience uh, I've just booked travel to Granada to see United when football starts up again after this international break I've enjoyed this international break to be honest been non-stop with the football just started to wash over me a little bit so it was good to have a, a little break well still got to do the fanzine still doing the podcast still doing some uh, writing uh, but we're going to Granada and also to Real Madrid against Liverpool that's for my job Real Madrid against Liverpool I wish it was Real Madrid against Manchester United but Granada is a wonderful city just a shame that it's going to be played in an, in an empty stadium but at least they can play in, in Spain unlike Real Sociedad who had to move and the sooner we get out of this nonsense the better um, it's dragging isn't it it's dragging for everybody but thanks for listening and we'll be back next week until then goodbye and don't forget to order united we stand as soon as you can cheers <laughs>